So uh, welcome back, everyone. Does everyone have a copy of the Invisible Handout? <laughs> so uh, I'm delighted to introduce Eric Ortz, who was for many years Wahid's colleague at Wharton. And he is going to talk to us about toward a theory of plural business purposes. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, uh, all of you on the back bench, I hope I, I can at this time. Uh, if you, if you want to come forward, there's lots of seats up here because my voice might not carry as well as it should. Uh, so first of all, I just want to have a, uh, I just want to offer a series of thanks. Um, the first one, of course, goes to Wahid himself, but just such a, a feeling of gratitude. Uh, in, uh, I'll say a, a bit more about uh, how people feel about him and how much we miss him uh, at Wharton, even though uh, it's been a while since he was a regular participant with us. But I uh, first want to thank Arthur uh, Nicholas for this wonderful book and for, for this amazing effort to bring this to us after reading it. I think it's clear from other comments already that this is really, I believe, going to stand the test of time. A lot of things that um, academics write, uh, you wonder whether, how fast will this actually disappear from the face of, uh, uh, of, of, of interest, from the face of the earth in some ways. But I, I really do feel after reading this that there's some nuggets and basic insights about um, the really fundamental questions that we've already heard about how Wahid zoned in on in terms of what are the big questions that we need to ask. And I think he was asking the big questions about markets, about the morality of markets, about how we can make markets better, where markets should be or should not be, as Martin uh, just indicated. In, it was really wonderful uh, to see how that, to integrate that theme of the limits of markets on the one hand and that side of his work. And then also the, what about markets themselves? Once we agree they exist, what, how do we, how do we make them better? How do we make them more moral? Uh, and so um, I'm really happy that you uh, uh, brought this uh, to us and, and in a published form of, of such a high quality. Um, also, I wanted to thank the University of Toronto and, and in general um, and reading this uh, book, uh, and I think we saw this a little bit, uh, Joe Heath, with your presentation. I see, uh, when I was reading Wahid's book, it was, and you reminded me, I had forgotten, I very much apologize that you had met Wahid at Wharton when he came down one time, and it's clear that he, he that there was a very strong influence that you had, even though you may disagree with most of what he has to say here. But it seems to me that he's, he's in reading this book, he's responding very much to some of the strongest arguments that you make about why we do have markets and why they're not going to disappear very quickly. And there are no real feasible alternatives to some of the uh, features that markets enable. So I just want, um, I want to thank uh, you, but everyone at the University of Toronto. And I was also very heartened to hear how loved he was here and and what a great we already i knew what a great teacher he was uh, just from his experiences at wharton but it was just really very i was very happy to hear that he was happy here and uh and that he has had a very significant influence on the um on the uh on the students uh you know thanks uh thanks to where he come from i see tim scanlon's here thanks to harvard for having to educate for having to help educate it uh, such a wonderful 
uh, colleague and someone we're, we're going to think a lot about. And last but not least, I want to thank Tina. It's wonderful to see so many family uh, coming. And I think it's a, uh, you get a sense of the strength of where and, 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 the, and the source of the kindness. And I don't think it's too much to use words like caring and love uh, that where, where Waheed was coming from. That, that he, and thank you for being, for giving what you have given to, uh, for sharing Waheed with us. Okay, so those, those, uh, with those thanks over, um, I'll give you a few reflections of uh, the life and legacy of Waheed Hussain as a colleague uh, of mine and others at Wharton. And then uh, this is an outline. The uh, This really is an invisible handout <coughs> handout because I'm not really going to follow this. So don't try to find out where is he like really talking about. There's a roadmap at page seven, and that's probably what's useful about this. But the, the handout is really the introduction of a paper uh, that is uh, engaging with Waheed's uh, theory. But it really is, uh, in my case, um, thinking about my own arguments, and I'll show how I think Waheed uh, will influence the uh, ultimate structure of those arguments, but it's really um, more of a uh, interaction of, of seeing how Waheed fits with some of the arguments that I'm gonna make, rather than any specific critique or commentary on Waheed's own arguments. And so, uh, but I'm happy to answer any questions that anyone may have. Okay, so that's the outline of what I'll, I'll talk about. And I'm, by the way, I'm sorry. I was wondering why my last appear very rarely is it, it does the letter O in your last name put you last? I was wondering where the R's and the S's and the other mm. people in the room, but apparently no. Mm. Uh, I got the uh, so I'm uh, I'll try to be relatively brief and keep you all awake uh, because we're about to have dinner and and leave plenty of time for discussion and questions. So I'll try to go through this fairly quickly. Uh, so some brief reflections first of all from my chair. Uh, at the Wharton School's uh, Legal Studies and Business Ethics Depart uh, Department. Waheed was a deeply valued colleague both during and after his time in our department. It's heartening that his ideas live on uh, through efforts such as this conference despite his uh, uh, early tra uh, tragic early passing. And I'm just going to add some of the comments I have, and this is also deriving from some other uh, comments. One of the top ones really I'd like to highlight is his intellectual bravery and fierceness, fierceness, is that he did not care, and maybe he should have, <laughs> a little <laughs> from a pragmatic or consequentialist point of view, maybe, but he did not care if he thought something was right, and that was the next thing on his agenda to write about, that's what he was going to write about. And if that happened, just to take one maybe prominent example, if that happened to be a leading Harvard Business School professor who he thought was absolutely wrong about many things, he was not going to be deterred by some other kind of consequentialist possibilities of writing that paper and saying Michael Jensen is really wrong. So, and, and I think I really, the longer I'm in academics, the more I appreciate that quality, and I, I want to hold him up as an example for all of us, not to fade away at whatever stage of career we're in uh, from saying what we really believe, not worrying about consequences that might be uh, meted out by whether that's a popular opinion or whether that may be beneficial to you in some other ways, but really he is someone, Wahid is someone who really had 
the truth at his core. What is the truth? What is the good? What is the right thing to do uh, in these uh, in these situations? And I really uh, miss him for that. Uh, he did that in our department meetings, and I miss him a lot for that. <laughs> now he would say it. Now, okay, he didn't make everyone happy when he had something to say. But he, uh, you always knew that it was something that was important to listen to, uh, and we, I miss him in that respect. Um, his philosophical orientation, I think, fit with uh, uh, the Penn kind of philosophy uh, of what is what, what what we should be doing, and that is that it would it mattered what there's a practical aspect, and so I appreciate what 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 Joe was saying too. There is a lot of. Uh, theoretical discussion that can be very so abstract that the only people really caring about this are people that are in the bubble of the economic analysis, the financial analysis, the philosophical discussions. And they're really, when you really try to drill down to what, how does this matter in the real world? It's kind of hard to get, make that connection. And I think that uh, Lahid uh, very much was in that uh, category. Uh, and then uh, he delivered a critical but informed and sophisticated perspective on the nature and problems of capitalism. Although one thing I'll mention is that I think we heard a little bit of a discussion of capitalism versus socialism. And one of the things I really like about this book is that there he doesn't put the debate in those terms. I think in some ways this is an interesting way in which he's uh, interlocutor with you, Joe, is that he's talking about markets. He's talking about corporations. There's not... It, and I think that enables him not to get stuck in the debate, the old debate about capitalism is a bad or good, socialism is useful or not useful. And he um, may, those themes are involved, but I think he's really, he really is successful in this book and going beyond that. And he was the founder of War, uh, Wharton and Penn, of course, on markets, morality, and capitalism, which is still going. But maybe my... Um, my favorite, uh, my favorite comment is of, of, of to share from colleagues. Oh, did I lose my phone? I lost my phone. Uh, but I think I remember it. It's from uh, Amy Sepinwall, who's one of my colleagues. And I said, Amy, I'm going to uh, this conference. It's about Lockheed. What do you remember about him? He said, you know what? You should... One thing I remember about him, he was wicked funny. That was sort of her memories. And that was something that I missed, too, his sense of humor and his... Uh, and his joyfulness. Okay, so uh, here's the basic pitch. Um, uh, I have a book called Business Persons, uh, which looks at what how what firms are from a legal perspective, and a new project which this paper is uh, a, a preliminary of. Although there have been lots of preliminaries for the next uh, book project, is uh, I think something called Business Purposes, and so. The first uh, book project is really much more descriptive. The basic argument of business purposes is that, at least on the business side of things, not necessarily the philosophical side of things, uh, there's a domination of the field by economics. And so economic theories of the firm, like Jensen and McLean, uh, the financial theories of, fir of firms, uh, financial analysis of markets, what's called law and economics in the, uh, in, the, in the law school world are dominant. And so they're dominant in law schools. This perspective is dominant in business schools. And I argue in this book, too dominant, but it's a descriptive argument about why you cannot just have an economic theory of what a business is. You also have to have a legal theory. 
Now, where Wahid book, where Wahid's book goes, and where I would hope to go in following him really in this, is to say, okay, that's true, and there is a lot of flexibility in the legal system. And so, just following on the discussion we just had uh, uh, from from others who uh, from, from others today. There is a lot more incident. And then, Martin, I really I wrote this down. I, I, I won't find the quote right away, but I really like the way you said there's a lot of possibility of the creative of institutional possibilities that we don't really look at, that we don't really think it's not just, you know, socialism, capitalism as like a binary choice. There's a lot of stuff in the middle where we can be much more creative than we are about how do we structure firms? What are we really trying to do? One value might be efficiency, and maybe a lot of the structures of firms should be focused on efficiency because there are morally good outcomes of that. I'm a little, uh, because of the Kantians, the number of Kantians in the room, I'm a little bit worried about making a consequentialist argument in that case, but I think you can make a case that there's a lot of good efficiency grounds, but that should not be the only one. And then we should think about, well, how can we structure firms? How can we structure the corporate laws? How can we structure the securities laws? How can we structure antitrust laws, which uh, was one theme that comes up in, in uh, Wahid's book. How do we think about labor? How do we think about employment uh, uh, discrimination laws? How do we think about other kinds of structures that are not just the state and laws, but also these intermediate um, associations and other entities that I think Wahid was uh, gesturing towards um, in, in his work, if not, and I don't think that work is complete. I think he's left for us, uh, at least those who are following him in this basic project, to try to go and fill in some of those blanks and try to um, try to move that project forward. So uh, business purposes, for those of you who are not um, in the business school world, uh, one prominent argument today is to get away from the profit maximization standard and that's currently the standard in business schools, is that if you ask what is the purpose of a firm, it's an easy answer, profit maximization. This is the model that financial, uh, uh, almost all financial models of the firm follow. And there are strong arguments that make profit maximization sensible from a mathematical and economic kind of point of view. But now there's a pushback and part of the, and there has been a dynamic, really in the history, at least for a hundred years, of a dynamic where people say, no, the firm should not just be about profit maximization, it has to be some about these other things. And then there's a debate about what those are. It goes back to the corporate social responsibility debate. It goes back to debates of Berlian means, famous debate about what is the fiduciary duty of the firm. Is it uh, only to maximize value for shareholders if it's a corporation, or is it also to do other things for other participants? Are there moral constraints? What are those moral constraints? If we open up the firm this way, how do we balance all this together? Uh, and one answer recently has been by Rebecca Henderson is a leader of this at uh, Harvard Business School, and Alex Edmonds, who was at Wharton actually, was tenured actually in the finance department and then moved to London, I believe he's now in London Business School, have written two books, Reimagining Capitalism in a World on Fire by Rebecca Henderson and Grow the Pie by Alex Edmonds. And both of them say, no, business purpose is what we should focus on, not profit maximization. Now, 
my view is what they mean by that is that in lots of these cases, there's too easy of a switch that's done where uh, purpose sounds great, but then the argument when you drill down to it is by following business purpose, you just happen to make the most money. <laughs> so it's what it's what it's a win-win argument. And I have been a critic of win-win arguments, but then the question is, how do you deal with that? Uh, one other person to mention who has written on this uh, and, and a new book is coming out uh, by Colin Mayer, who is the former dean at Oxford Business School. He has a triptych, what I've called, they asked me to do a blurb on the, on the book, on his new book, and I've called it a triptych, but it's basically the same thing. It's business purpose. Uh, but for Colin Mayer, I think he goes beyond some of the earlier arguments for business purpose uh, in saying law has to be part of the project. Okay, so that's where uh, that's where I'm going. I'm going to really just quickly, given the uh, interest of time, I realize I use up too much time uh, already. If that clock is right, yes. Okay, I better hurry up. Um, so uh, here's uh, some basic sections of argument, and I'm going to go through it quickly so we have plenty of time for discussion. First of all, profit maximization is wrong. And so Milton Friedman's the easy target for this, although even Milton Friedman, if you read him carefully, says there are limits on profit maximization. One of them is following the law. A second one is ethical custom. And he leaves open what exactly is ethical custom. Seems to be if all the CEOs agree something is ethical, that's going to be enough. And I think most of us in this room would not agree that we want to leave that up to the CEOs who decide what is ethical. Um, example, quick example of this is, uh, is uh, Jack Welch, Welch uh, who was famous, famous for maximizing profit to the maybe the great, greatest extreme possible. And David Gellis has a good biography of him showing how this actually under, was actually very harmful to the basic underpinnings of our, our capital economy. Okay, skip over that. So what does Waheed say about this? Um, First of all, critique of the private property system. And so I think a very important uh, part of his book, and we've already heard about it today, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, is that the Lockean natural right theory is wrong. And that is the basis of a lot of financial understanding of the firm today. Property rights theory is treated as almost a natural law by many people in business schools, and they don't really look at it. They don't want to look at it, but we need to look at it, and I believe uh, Wahid is right. It's a private property system creating markets, and we have to decide whether that's good. I think in many respects it is good. Maybe it's the working lesson. Uh, and Wahid agreed that in many respects it's good, but not always. And it's not it's certainly not based on natural right theory. Pro private property markets, price systems, and profit-making enterprises compose a social coordination me mechanism. Uh, we've heard about that already. I just add and sort of emphasize that this mechanism is adjustable through prop politics and law. So the kinds, of, uh, the kinds of possibilities of creative institutional responses are available there, but you do have to use other coordination mechanisms like getting involved politically and thinking about creative legal reforms that you then pass in order to shift the structure, the structure of the, uh, and maybe the scope of the uh, social coordination mechanism, uh, and I already said this, profit maximization is not a natural law, and therefore that should not be taken as given. That means all, all of my colleagues should shift their view, and Morton, so far I have not yet succeeded in convincing them all. 
maybe a few more radical crises will convince them. Okay, two, so the legal constitution of organizational purposes and objectives. Uh, these are three main th legal theories of the firm that I give. Um, uh, and one, a couple quick points about what Wahid's what, contribution here is first, he's an institutional theorist. So he, be, he believes that the, we're talking about institutional theories that are then uh, embedding markets. I believe that he agrees in general, as I do with HLA Hart's perspective, which is that, as a lot of people I, I think appreciate this, is that there are two different possibilities that we take to these problems. One is uh, the internal perspective of the firm, so that people are making determinations in firms and they can make a lot of determinations within that, although they're often constrained by the external rules that they're allowed to take under uh, consideration. We can talk more about that if you like. The other one, which is in some ways uh, mostly this book, is this external perspective of observing the system and seeing what it's doing, and that you adjust the external, per the external perspective observing the system, but that what you're changing is sometimes the operating system, the rules of the game of this complex market economy that to some extent, and I think as Joe uh, emphasized, is decentralized. So it's not just a choice between do we plan or do we have the market? It's also that there's lots of choices about how do we allow the market to act? Can we channel the market? Can we, have, uh, can we set up certain rules of the game? of the market that are different and that will try to achieve some of the objectives that we're trying to do. Uh, okay, so uh, that's a way in which uh, I think Wahid's book, uh, Wahid's approach and my approach are similar um, and uh, are similar in approach, are similar in uh, substance. Okay, I'm gonna skip over the some of this, uh, let, let me just say in general that there are then, there's been a debate about who sets the rules of the game for all these institutions? So what is the purpose right now? I think this is an issue at the University of Pennsylvania. What is the purpose of the University of Pennsylvania? And how do we structure the rules so that whoever is chosen to be a leader at the University of Pennsylvania is following that objective? Right now, there's actually a takeover attempt of the University of Pennsylvania that we can go into by some very large financial donors who don't like the way the direction of the school is going. And they say, okay, we're gonna to try to withdraw our money and put pressure on the school to change the leadership. Same thing happens in firms and uh, for profit, you have rules that set up, you're allowed to have firms, you, have, you create firms, but then there are rules about, well, how do you decide who runs the firm? This gets into Wahid's discussion of co-determination, but I was also happy to hear and from Martin that this is not really, well, he's not limiting himself to particular examples of code determination, which I didn't really realize, I didn't realize he understood so well the limitations of this. And you don't see that as much in the book as I think uh, you could uh, based on some of his other writings. Uh, but the idea is you can change the rules. The Germans did change the rules and said for very large companies, here's the rules. There's a very big debate right now about what are the rules of companies caring about the climate. Uh, California, and I've commented on this recently, just passed a law saying, if you're a big firm, you have to report all your greenhouse gases. If you're a big firm, you have to report what are you really doing in your strategy about the climate problem, because companies cannot just be about profits and roll us over the cliff uh, of, the climate, uh, of a climate disaster. Okay, so um, 
let me just skip over. These are details about a specific example in the American context of the rules of corporate governance. Suffice it to say, there's still a debate going on about what the purpose of a firm should be and what it should be allowed to be. And we can uh, weigh into this, though, if we think about what should the legal and political uh, restrictions of that be? Should there be more public benefit corporations, for example? If there are, should they be supported? Should there be incentives for them? Those are explicitly uh, corporations that are not profit maximizing. Uh, so we can have a discussion about uh, that sort of, uh, those, sorts of uh, those, those sorts of things. Okay, next point, economic objectives. If they're not, uh, firms are for, economic, for, for efficiency. I think we have to ask efficiency for whom? And I think Wahid helps us to give an answer that we really have to look at this as a social, uh, a social structure. How is the market and how are the firms operating within the market and how are the people and the investors working as managers uh, uh, in that market? What are they doing for the world? What's the ultimate objective? And I think the ultimate objective has to be something about economic well-being for most of the people living on the planet. And I think if you start to put some moral judgment about that, it's not really doing a good job on some measures. On some measures, maybe it is. So you, you and I think going back to the point, you can't throw out markets because Hayek's right. And I think that Wahid appreciated, as has been indicated uh, previously, that Hayek was right, that it's too complex of a world. And if you try to plan everything, it's not going to work. On the other hand, uh, you're, uh, well, he does, has this wonderful analogy known of the genie in the bottle. In some way, I think there is a genie in the bottle that's been let loose of the market itself. And so then how do you, uh, how do you control for what happens, not just with externalities, and that that's a failure, but there's lots of other things that are unexpected that come out of the market that are not tied to this economic objective about making most people better off and allocating, uh, allocating um, goods and services in an efficient way. Uh, so that is one kind of general question that I think uh, makes sense to bring up. Uh, and we can get into this in more detail if you'd like. Uh, and, and I think in this respect, I'd just relate Wahid not only to the kind of foundational works of Adam Smith, where obviously the title comes from and why he's directly engaged with how we think about Invisible Hand from the beginning, but Hayek, um, and then uh, how we think about markets. I think he's fairly heavily influenced by Charles Lindblom's view of markets in a positive way, but he also uh, would be interesting to be able to engage him more on how he would think about critiques of uh, markets by people like uh, Peckett and others who are pointing out the inequalities. Okay, moral intentions and consequences. Um, I think I'll skip over it. It's too late in the day for me to talk about Derek Parfit's theory <laughs> of, uh, of different, and plus it's dangerous Always. and I'm room of, I've heard this a bunch of Kantians here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there. But the general question is how do we import these larger considerations and particularly important for me is the climate into the system of markets and the decision-making process, profits, uh, processes of businesses <coughs> Um, and how we're uh, thinking about the world. Uh, and then the political context and responsibility, I guess I'll just throw out a few extra points, not only the climate, uh, what should be the role of businesses when you're facing uh, the problem in Ukraine? What should be the role of businesses when you're dealing with, um, with, your, with, with, you're dealing with other kinds of 
uh, questions of democracy. Do, do, should businesses support democracy? And if so, how? Um, or if so, or when do they? Do, when should they not? Um, so there are a lot of political kinds of questions that I think come into this that we can talk about more. Uh, and this includes uh, things like abusing the corporate legal forms that we have. People don't even understand how the legal system is working in this way that Wahid, I think, very well describes that we really are living in this world where it's governed by markets and the legal structures and of these markets. And many people do not see that they're even caught in them. Uh, and so it's hard then to uh, it's hard then to police. Okay, um, so uh, let's see. So quickly toward a theory, uh, toward a plural business purposes, the idea that I would suggest is an amendment to the um, general view now of business purpose is that we should think of a, a plural business purposes. So that businesses are not just about efficiency and profit maximization. They're also not just about one other thing or like that you can have some purpose that then maps onto profit maximization. There are lots of different purposes. And just quickly, where do they come from? They come from the bottom up, from participants who are engaged in businesses. And I believe they can be much more heavily empowered by our legal systems if we correct some of the mechanisms. And I think Wahid would agree with this, at least in some respects. And from the top down, uh, usually when we're thinking about law and politics, I think I might have to add uh, in, in agreeing with Wahid that he's puts a, a, a large emphasis on something that's in the middle here, where you have top-down kinds of regulation that are affecting what the intermediate institutions are doing and what the business are doing. So maybe there is more of a middle, uh, a middle approach than I've allowed for so far in how I think about it. Okay, last point here is just what would some of these top-down or maybe mid-tier mid uh, reforms, what would they look like? One idea, I mentioned this already, the idea that you would have required audited third-party verified social environmental reports for all businesses exceeding a certain size in the world. We don't have that right now. The EU and the California are leaders. Have strict penalties for greenwashing and other kinds of misrepresentations. Right now, there's not much of uh, policing at all. There's a little bit around the edges. Investment companies sell something that they call ESG funds. Lots of people buy them, think that they're doing good for the world. In fact, if you look very closely, the measurements are not about ESG at all doing any good in the world. It's all about financial measurements for success of the company. So it's uh, much of it is greenwashing, but there's really no policing of that. Um, create and expand availability of new business forms. I mentioned this already. We like the idea of public benefit uh, 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 companies, then uh, they're recognized in 34 US states, but they're probably not gonna get off the ground unless you are changing other kinds of rules of, of the game or providing some sort of incentives uh, for them to increase their market share. Uh, empower and provide incentives to scale up, uh, not, only, not only for profit firms, that's the same, same basic point, uh, enhance the transparency of corporate ownership and crack down on the use of shell corporations. This is, talk about non-transparency. That's the major problem of how fraud is being created in the world. Uh, major crimes are being created with the use of corporations, but nobody is really requiring their disclosure. Uh, and so that would be one way to do it. A few more, 
and then I'm done and we'll take questions or get ready. Maybe we can go to uh, get a drink earlier after the, after all the long day is uh, reform corporate takeover and governance rules to allow defenses against profit maximizing strategies. Right now, there isn't for many. That's why there are very rich private equity firms. That's why there are big hedge funds. They're making a lot of money because they basically are following profit maximizing strategies and companies can't defend against them. And they're very broad, big incentives not to, uh, not to go with the flow and uh, and give into that uh, and give into that motivation. Enhance enterprise liability for principal and corporate groups. Some of these are very legal, so I'll skip over them quickly. Limited liability for corporations has been a standard, but in the in the advanced market economy of what, what he might say, why do you need it? There have, been there have been arguments for a long time saying like very large businesses do not need the limited liability kinds of protections that we're giving them. So why don't we just eliminate it? That would uh, that would change it. Also, what about corporate executives? Corporate executives have limited liability. Why should they? If they are making decisions that are quite terrible for people uh, and they're doing a lot of harm and they know they're doing the harm and violating the law, for example, why are they uh, given limited liability? reduce what I would call moral agency costs of uh, uh, shareholders and others who, with respect to the firm, and then incentivize production of goods and services that aim at social goods, um, such as climate transition, fighting racism, et cetera. And those, there are ways that we can do that. And then finally, penalize the production of goods and services that provide negative externalities. And that's uh, kind of a standard toolkit, but it doesn't go far enough. I guess the last thing I'll say to take an economic economic point of view, for example, with respect to firms and or the economy, and this is a standard response, and it's been failing for many years, talk about market failure, Joe, is idea, put a price on carbon, and then somehow we're gonna solve the climate change problem. That's not sufficient. You have to go much deeper into how markets work, how businesses make decisions, how consumers make decisions, uh, to really get uh, uh, a purchase on a, a problem that's a serious, that's a climate problem. Okay, I think I'm, I'm sorry if I went too long. That's um, all right. Thanks. 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 We have time for questions.